would open your New Testaments to the uh, book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be studying at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul writing to the young evangelist Timothy from a Roman prison cell toward the end of his life admonished Timothy with a statement in verse 6. We'll take a moment to read that first where Paul writes, this, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I want us to put some thought this morning on this, this statement about the, the spirit that has been given to us by God. And as we look at that word spirit, typically we may think of some miraculous divine intervention, but that's not the case here. What Paul is writing about, as we discussed in our Bible class earlier, is the dynamic of human agency. Thank you, Ronnie. Ronnie gave, gave me that phrase in our class. It's, it's the ability that we have within us. It's our spirit to make certain decisions and to be a certain type of person through our free will. And this is one of the great blessings of free will. We can choose to be who we want to be. And if, if you're a disciple of Jesus, obviously the choice that you would make would be the choice to be a follower of Christ and to be all that God, through his word, has directed us or you or I to be. Paul is encouraging Timothy. This gift of God which is in you, and we'll not spend time belaboring the point of what that gift may have been, but this gift that God had given him, he was to kindle it afresh. So there is the possibility that we have abilities, we have opportunities, we have gifts that God has given to us, non-miraculous abilities that we can put on the back burner. And what Scripture moves us toward is kindling afresh those gifts. In other words, dust them off. Whatever it is that God has given you, take it and use it. Use it to expand the borders of his kingdom. Use it to encourage and to edify and, and to build others up and to be a true disciple of Jesus. But the key is this human agency that is within you, this, this dynamic to make these choices. And we are to kindle afresh that gift for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And that word could be translated cowardice. The introduction to this lesson is going to be focused on that negative statement, and then we're going to go into the positives. But I want you to think about what fear does in the life of anybody, but especially in the life of, of a disciple. In the parable of the talents that we read about in Matthew chapter 25, you think about the one talent man who did not use his talent. And when the master came to him, he wanted to know why. And he said, I was afraid. I was afraid. Well, fear causes us 
to do nothing. It's easier to do nothing because we're afraid of the consequences of getting out of our comfort zone, of stepping out on a limb, on choosing to do the right thing. That's what fear does to us. We also think about statements, for example, in John chapter 14 and verse 27, the words of Jesus where he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Well, you see, all that's going on in the world can cause us to become discouraged. It can cause a troubled heart and as a result of that, fear can take over. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, when Paul was writing about the difference between living by the Spirit and living by the flesh, he made this statement in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, For you have not received a, a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And, and what I see in that as being so powerful is that God has done the hard work. In fact, he has done everything within his power to make it such that all we have to do is freely serve him. All we have to do is move forward and there's no reason to be afraid. You think about the relationship that you have with your parents. Insofar as they're making provision for you, you don't have to worry about it. They're taking care of everything. All you have to do is be obedient. All you have to do is be submissive to their will, and everything's going to be fine. But if we allow fear and cowardice, to be the spirit that characterizes our lives. We know that God has not given that to us and the consequences eternally are disastrous. You can't help but be impressed when you read the book of Revelation chapter 21 and he's writing about those who will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are certain ones mentioned that you would expect to be there. The abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the, the idolaters, the, the liars. But at the beginning of the list, the cowardly. The cowardly. Those who, because they're afraid, shrink back. If that's you, if that's the life that you're living, you need to realize that spirit didn't come from God. That dynamic of human agency that God has put within you has been trained not by his word, not by his will, but really by Satan. Satan wants nothing more than for us to be afraid. And once we're afraid, we're done. The spirit given to us by God. It's not a spirit of timidity, but it's a spirit of power and love and discipline. And as we begin thinking about each of these areas, let's ask ourselves the question, is that us? 
When people see me, do they see someone who is making choices, giving recognition to the power of God that is within me? Do they see someone who is making choices based upon what I see as being in the best interest of others, that act of goodwill that is love? And do they see me being one who is self-controlled, who is exercising discipline in my life to make the good choices and to do the, the hard things that so few are willing to do. God has given us a spirit of power. Paul had this thorn in his flesh. You know about that if you're familiar with the New Testament and especially the life of Paul. And he went to God three times and he prayed that God would remove that thorn in the flesh. Well, that tells me that it was something that was really dragging him down. And, and you, you consider everything that Paul experienced in his work as an apostle, the beatings, the labor, the shipwrecks, all the adversity that he faced. Insofar as what we have in the scriptures, this was the only thing that he just he wanted God to take it, take it away. And God, God didn't. But God responded with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You see what God was doing? He was giving Paul that spirit of power. And he was doing that through the most difficult circumstance that Paul faced. You've heard me say before that sometimes we, we tend to, to gravitate toward complaining about adversity when the adversity may be the very thing that God is using to mold and fashion us into who he wants us to be. Most gladly, therefore, Paul continues, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Do you have that spirit of power? If you're suffering, if you're afflicted, if, if there are challenges in your life that seem at times to be overwhelming, wake up, open your eyes, and realize that this might be the very thing that God knows you need more than anything else that's going to allow you to perfect power in your life through that weakness. I think of a statement Paul made in Ephesians chapter 3 when he was praying for those in the church at Ephesus. That God, he writes in Ephesians 3 and verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the spirit in the inner man. Now we see God's spirit working with our spirit. You see, if I want to have this spirit of, of power, I need to expose my mind to the revelation that came to me as the result of the operation of the mind of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And the inner man, that dynamic of human agency, will now be trained to do what God wants it to do. Now to him, verse 20, he continues in Ephesians 3, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Well, if that power comes through study, if it comes through the experiences of life in the form of adversity, 
then let that power work. And now I'm going to be in a position that I have the spirit of power so that I can do more than I can even think that I can do. And that power is going to be working within me. It's all about the relationship, though, isn't it? In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Paul wrote, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The power is not mine. The power is mine as given to me by God. And then Paul could say, I can do all things. In Philippians 4 and verse 13, through Him who strengthens me. You see how all that works together? God has given us this spirit of power, but he's also given us a spirit of love. How useful is that? If, if I'm ever going to be effective in serving God, that I'm going to have to fully embrace this, this new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, a record of which we have in John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, it's not the first time it was ever said in the Bible that we are to love one another. It was a new commandment because it was new in him and in us as we love one another as he loved us. What did that love look like? It's the kind of love that thinks nothing of self. Jesus emptied himself in, in giving up the glory that he had with the Father to take on human flesh and to suffer and then to go to the cross because he was here to accomplish the purpose of God. He, he never was thinking of himself. That's true love. And it's, it's a lifelong challenge to get to that point where you don't somehow manage to figure out in some roundabout way how you can love other people but benefit yourself at the same time. You just got to get away from that. It doesn't work that way. First and foremost, I have to be willing to give of myself. And this is the test of discipleship. In verse 35, Jesus went on to say, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Bible thumping will not do it. <laughs> Telling people what they need to be doing and what they shouldn't be doing and how you've got the truth and how I've got the truth, that's not going to do it. They can see through the hypocrisy of insincere love. God has not given us that spirit. He's given us the spirit of true love. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 8, John writes, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. This is the same Apostle who recorded the verse we just read in John chapter 13, who saw that through the relationship and the fellowship that we would have with God by virtue of our relationship with Christ and one another, we would come to love one another as he loved us, and we would love one another because we would see 
that we're all on the same plane in the eyes of God. It's true in him and you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Those statements need to get your attention. There is no, you're not going to mess up. You're not going to make a bad decision. You're not going to lead. You're not going to, you're not going to do something that's going to cause all kinds of collateral damage if you're thinking of others first. If you're sacrificing for the benefit of, of others. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He thinks he's loving, but he isn't. He thinks he's doing what's best for others, but he's really doing what's best for himself because he's walking in that darkness. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, there is no fear in love. God has not given us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. The maturest level of love, the perfect love, love that has been perfected is the love that has totally divested oneself of self, as we've said again. And you go back earlier in this chapter, and you notice in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Just as with the power, the spirit of power. It's, it's through my suffering. It's, it's through what the Spirit has revealed to me. As, as, as I make that spirit-inspired revelation a part of who I am, then power can be seen in my life. How do I show love? How is love perfected? It's, it's through loving my brothers and sisters in Christ and demonstrating that I've taken this Fear. I'm not afraid of the consequences of that. I know as long as I'm loving them the way I should, I'll never stumble. So why should I fear? You know, people are just... Um, the world at times seems to be a little bit crazy. Yes, it does. People are not willing to love. Why? Because they've been burned. They've been burned time after time again. And it's hard to open up. How many times am I going to have to open myself up just to let somebody come crashing into my life and burn it up again? Well, what about Jesus? <laughs> what about that spirit of Christ? He did it, didn't he? Shouldn't I? And then this final area is the spirit of discipline that God has given us. A spirit of self-control. Do you feel like you're in control? When you, when you look at the, the thoughts that go through your mind, let's, let's just get to the hard part. It's the part that everybody sees, it's easy. But when you get to the, 
the mind, that inner being. Do you see self-control there? In 1 Peter, I like the language that Peter used in describing who we are as Christians and who we should be. And especially as regards our mind. Prepare your minds for action. Prepare your mind. Be ready. Have that spirit of discipline, that spirit of mental discipline. Keep sober in spirit and to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. That's where Scripture takes me. It's being in control of my mind. Thought precedes action. Prepare your minds for action. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, Paul writing to the church in his second letter, writing to the church at Thessalonica. Paul writes about this, this mind, first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And he says, brethren, you're not in darkness. You're, you shouldn't be in darkness. We've got revelation sufficient to provide a, a guide for us. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of life and, and, and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and, and sober, sober-minded. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But that's not who we are. We are those who are sober, who have put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the, the hope of salvation. We're ready. That's the spirit that God has given us. You know, with, with spiritual maturity, you should never say when something comes into your life that just totally undoes you, I was not ready for that. I was not unprepared for that. Satan can repackage it. But for the most part, it's the same thing over and over again. The problem is not in the packaging. The problem is in whether or not you're ready for it. And God has given us this spirit of discipline, whether it's the exercise of your gifts or whatever the case may be, just be ready. He later wrote to this same evangelist in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 to be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Well, we all have a, an area of service. It may not be evangelism. But whatever it is, be sober, be disciplined, be self-controlled. Endure the hardship that's going to come with it. It's never going to get any easier. And the sooner you realize that, the better. What spirit? What spirit describes you? Is it timidity? Is it cowardice? Is it fear? Or is it power and love and discipline? God has given us that. And we need to run with it. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you never obeyed the gospel, then we want to encourage you in the song that we're about to sing to confess the faith that is in your heart, the conviction that you believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Your desire to repent and to change. This change of mind that leads to a change of action. 
and then a desire to become one with Jesus as you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for the remission of your sins. And then the waters of baptism, the blood of Christ with, with which you will come into contact will take those sins away and you'll be raised to walk in newness of life. If you're subject to this invitation, please come as we stand and sing.